You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone. Oh, Tani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, welcome to A's Cast Live, everybody. A Tuesday edition. I hope everybody had a wonderful day off. I know I did. I headed down to Central California, Paso Robles, went down, had a nice dinner, played two rounds of golf, didn't think about baseball at all until the commander started texting me, reminding me we got to get going again as the Athletics will end their road trip in Boston, a three-game set against the Boston Red Sox. We're going to have A's total access coming up for you at, was this a 3-10? 3-10 total access, 4-10 first pitch, and Fenway Park. Pakistan, have it, yeah. The A's are 21-41, and 41, while the Red Sox are 32-29. and 29. What did you do, Commander, on the day off yesterday? Um, worked. It's on a day off for me. I'm a salary employee. I have to work. I don't get to go golfing. Oh, that's right. You don't work on the weekends like uh, we. You, oh, that you weren't up at six thirty in the morning on Sunday. Uh, I was up at seven thirty. Oh, okay, that's right. I had to go to a te- uh, three year old's birthday party. That was a lot of fun. So you sat in Santa Rosa. So you sat in your apart your luxury apartment in Japantown in San Jose in the air conditioning yesterday. You didn't have to drive to work or go anywhere. You just uh, sat no. at your house with your dog. Did I go? Did I have to go anywhere? No, I didn't have to go anywhere. Did yesterday. you walk your dog yesterday? Uh, I did. On the company dime? Uh, no, I don't do that. I do that in the morning, early morning, or after work. After you meditated? Uh, yes. Then I watched the, the Dubs. Dubs go up 3-2 against the Celtics. I told you it's not Draymond's fault. I've been trying to tell you the whole time. You've been blaming Draymond. Uh, the best take of the game last night real quick was, that was a checkbook win for the Warriors because they can spend more money than anybody else. When was the last time you heard anybody ever say the Warriors spend more money than anybody else? I don't <laughs> listen to Warriors talk anymore, so I wouldn't know. That, that was Brian, Windhur- Brian Windhorst of ESPN. Melissa Lockhart is going to join us from The Athletic at 1.30. Did you really book her? She got this on all the minor leagues and Jonah Bryant. Yeah, there's no good news. Well, that's... Jonah Bride, though. She's like the Grim Reaper coming in today. <laughs> no one's healthy. No one's playing well. And Jonah Bride, God bless you, but are we really playing like Jonah Bride is the savior of all of our problems? Jonah Bride? Really? Okay. Uh, Jesse Goldberg Strass. Yeah, Strassler. I thought you had Strasser. Jesse Goldberg Strassler, play-by-play man for the Lansing Lugnuts. We love him. By the way, the hat right here. Lance He'll Hope. be filling in for all three games at Fenway Park. 
This is his big league debut, right? Correct, and he is a very fascinating way he got into the industry, and he does recreation broadcasts. We can have him explain all the stuff he does with Lansing and then obviously making his debut in Fenway Park. Not, uh, seriously. Not, not at Safeco or, sorry, T-Mobile or – Wow. Shots fired at the Pacific Northwest. He's, he's doing it at historic Not like market. that dump in Kansas City or that crap house in Arizona or that joke you got in Houston. You're going to be at Fenway Park. No, no, that's that's great for a major league debut. What it, would you say to some? What if you did? What what if you did um, this for somebody else? And they said, "Oh, it's not like making your debut in Oakland." What would you say then? Uh, historic ballpark, a lot of history. Wow. Raiders used to play there. Company man, <laughs> he's a company at Warriors, <laughs> right across the street. Yeah. Now has won three, four titles now, over there. Now the NFL and the NBA are gone, and there's one team left. A lot of World Series won at the Coliseum. Julian McWilliams from the Boston Globe, our buddy who we saw recently. It was great to see him. We will uh, check in with Julian, who is, uh, I got to think, happy to be back home, but it was a great road trip. He's a new new father, and, um, you know, sometimes it's nice to get away and be able to sleep in a little bit. So uh, we'll talk about how his road trip went and for the Boston Red Sox. You want good news? You want bad news? Where you want to start? Uh, always go bad news first. Red Sox won 8 of 10 on the road trip from Oakland, Anaheim, and Seattle. Red Sox, well, their starters allow just one run in 19 innings against the Athletics in their sweep of the A's. That's pretty good, right? Starters pitch 19 innings, only give up one run. Yeah, during the winning streak they were on, it was like 34 innings. One earned run they they had going. Their team leads the majors in ERA this month. That's the team. Not starters, not bullpen. The team with a 2.04 ERA. And the Red Sox have won 9 of 11 so far in June. They also, because Jared Koenig is making his second start, which is good news. Like, we want to see. I don't know what this this guy can be. He's not a kid. But I want to see him. I want to see him pitch, right? Don't you want to see that? Don't you want to see something new? But Boston so far, they've won 11 of 15 starts this year when the opponent has started a left-hander. And I don't even want to get into J.D. Martinez's numbers versus lefties and also what he's done on this road trip. That's the bad news. You want good news? Yeah, always always end the bad with the good. Boston is only 13 and 14 this year at Fenway Park. That's not good. They have not played well at Fenway. And right now, the A's have a guy that is so hot, he literally can help carry this team. Who is that? Who is that? Is that, as Chris, I, is that as Christian? I, as I Point to both cameras. Is that Christian Bethencourt? That would be Christian Bethencourt. Hitting 529, last four games, three dingers, three doubles, five RBIs. Everything he hits is is smoked right now. He is a one-man wrecking crew. So there are some good things for the athletics heading into heading into this series. Am I overselling it? No question. <laughs> That's what we do here on Ace Cast Live. But, you know, keep competing. 
And Jonah Bride's up, and unfortunately, Kevin Smith's down. That's not – I'm happy for Jonah Bride, a 23rd-round pick out of South Carolina. Uh, Melissa covered it earlier this year that in the offseason, he decided, I mean, I'll catch, I'll play anywhere, which you're damn right, right? You want to get to the big leagues? You want to have a career? Pick up all the gloves you can pick up and figure out a way how you can be versatile. That's how you play ball. Unless you are a no-doubter getting to the big leagues and you got a position, you better find out how to play outfield, how to play infield. I can help you. Versatility is the name of the game. Figure out a way to help the club any way you can. Plus, I've got two things going today for A's Cast Live. One, I don't pull these out often. I've pulled out the A's. Have you seen these? I haven't. Yeah, I don't pull them out often. Oh, that's upside down. They're Nike. I don't pull them out often. I'm wearing these for good luck, the slide ends, whatever the hell you call them. And then my old friend, the great white shark. We're desperate. I'm calling in the great white shark to help us today here on the set of A's Cast Live. Last week, we put Ricky up. We highlighted Ricky Henderson. Ricky didn't deliver. So now, we're going to the great white shark. Do you know where I got the? And this is what we're going to do on it. And this is what the great things about Ace Cast Live, you being able to watch it on YouTube or on Twitter. Obviously, on YouTube, it's on the A's YouTube page. On Twitter, at AthleticCast24. And if you're listening on A's Cast, thank you so much. We love you, too. Now, if Cody was astute, he'd be asking me, where did you get the great white shark? I was going to, then you went off about thanking everyone for listening. So I'll go back. Where did you get the great white shark? I got this great white shark at Universal Studios in the 90s. So it would have been, was that Orlando or is it L.A.? That'd be LA. Because what's one, which one's in Florida then? They have you. They have, okay. They, okay. Florida has everything that Southern California does, but it's just all much. It's like it's like it's like Florida, especially Central Florida, is essentially Southern California on steroids. They took Disneyland and made Disney World. They took Sea World, made Sea World. I mean, they've got a massive hotel. I've actually stayed at the uh, Sea World Hotel there in Orlando. It's got like a water slide park. I mean, Universal Studios. They've every Orlando has everything that Southern California has, but just way more and way bigger. But yes, this is from Universal Studios in Southern California. I got it in the nineties. It's actually a koozie, and I remember when I saw it, I'm like, I gotta get that. And for years, I had this at, in my office. I always kept pencils in it. And pens and everything. But since we redid this studio, I brought the great white shark out from my office in my house. And I'm bringing the great white shark in for good luck against the Boston Red Sox. Because you know what? I love Fenway Park. I've been to it a few times. Beautiful. It's historic. 
just walking outside. I mean, literally, you can be in one of the bars across the street, and it's like 15 steps from the bar to giving your seat. It's like you're in a different world. It's like you're in a different time. You go back in time. You go into the stands, and all the seats are so are compact, and it's like you can see Ted Williams. You can see Babe Ruth. You can see you know the greats of the greats who have all played there. Yes, Carlton Fisk. I, I, I mean, I've seen all-time – I've seen Cal – I saw the Orioles one time. And I remember going with my brother and my two buddies going, we're watching Cal Ripken play at Fenway Park. Right? I mean, he's an all-time great. Yeah. Like, I've seen all-time greats at Fenway Park in my time. I saw as – you know, I've talked about how my whole family is from – the towns inside is from Massachusetts. I saw when I was 11 years old – at Fenway Park against the Angels, I saw two all-time greats that day. One on the California Angels. At that time, I'll never forget, Rod Carew got a double, and when he was standing on second base, the Red Sox faithful, what year would this be? 83? I was 11 in 83? Uh, yeah, you were 72, right? Yeah. Yeah, so be 11, yes. I was 11. Gave him a standing ovation because we were there in the summer. And he hit this double, and he was hitting 400. Rod Carew was hitting 400. Check to see if I'm right. It was 80. He was on just at Rod Carew in 83 was on the Angels. It's 83 or 84. Rod Carew in 1983 and 4 was both with the Angels. Okay. So you're right. Pretty sure it was 83. But I'll never forget on the scoreboard there, and the scoreboard's much different now at Fenway Park than it was in 1983. Scoreboard was up there. God, I wish my mom was still alive. I'd have her on the show. I used to bring my mom on my old shows, by the way. Um, And they had that Rod Carew was hitting 400. And he said, 400, man. The last guy to sniff that was George Brett at the time in 1980. Still summertime, but the Fenway faithful who they're a nasty bunch. If you've ever been to game, if you've ever been to Foxborough, uh, if you've ever been to Celtics game or Bru- Bruins game, Matt, New Englanders are hardcore, man. They're nasty, hardcore, miserable people. Trust me, that's my family. I can say that. They're nasty. They gave Rod Carew a standing ovation. And also in that game, another all-time great, Carl Yastrzemski had a home run in that game. So I saw Rod Carew was hitting 400. Little did I know, I was 11 years old. I mean, it didn't seem like a big deal. But I look back on it now, Yaz went yard, Hall of Famer, and one of the greatest hitters of all time also. Rod Carew was hitting 400 at the time. So when you're there, it's historic stuff, man. You're like seeing like they've got the 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 red the red chair out there where Ted Williams hit a home run. I mean, they got they got cool stuff. And Fenway Park, that's why Jesse Goldberg Strassler is, like, in for such a treat. And the fact that his first ever big league opportunity is at Fenway Park is pretty incredible. Got my Pitching Ninja mug. I got to send the Pitching Ninja. I did the uh, Pitching Ninja shirt as we got the last dive bar promoting everybody today. Uh, For my hit on NBC, and I guess they were talking about it, we got to get that to the Pitching Ninja. Uh, I sent him the one you did before in the uh, in the said pitching ninja shirt, and he appreciated it. So I'm sure he would appreciate the the next one as well. Um, I wanted to ask you, by the way, Rod Crew hit 339 in 1983. So we, the 400 was great, but still hit 339, which is 
an all-time great number. Yeah, any good? Three thirty-nine? Any good? Uh, today's game, he's already going to be a Hall of Famer. Did you? Um, did you? When you saw Cal Ripken play at uh, Fenway, was it during the streak or was it after? After, because it was ninety-nine. Okay. Just checking. I don't know if you're going. Like, was it ninety-nine? It was somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was because that was the uh, one of the most incredible trips of my life. I was able to, you know, because I'm fortunate to work in this business. I was able to plan a trip. Not only my brother was married, my two other buddies, Dean Matson and Mark Podesta, if any of you know them. Uh, I got us set up in Cooperstown, New York, because I, as people know, George Brett's my guy. Uh, George Brett, and so was Nolan Ryan. George Brett, Nolan Ryan, Robin Yount were going into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and that veterans community, whatever they were called at the time, uh, also, and I was working at KMBR at the time, and Orlando Cepeda was going in. So you want to talk about a pretty damn good class. George Brett, Nolan Ryan, Robin Yount, Orlando Cepeda. So I got a so I got a set up at Cooperstown. We then went up to Massachusetts to visit our family, went to Fenway Park, then drove down, talk about a big mistake, drove down and drove into the Bronx Yankee Stadium. Bad idea. Bad, bad idea. But then went to Yankee Stadium. It was David Cohn's next start after his perfect game against the great Indians team. And then we went back up to Cooperstown and saw the Hall of Fame inductions, which I highly recommend to anybody. It's one of the greatest weekends of all time. If you're a baseball fan, it's heaven. All the Hall of Famers are there. I walked down the street and bumped into, physically bumped into Tom Seaver. He, we turned the corner together. I bumped into Tom Seaver. God rest his soul. Tom, terrific. Yeah. I mean, Not we, Brady. Bu- we bumped into each other, and it's like, oh, my. Hi, Tom. And he just kept walking. Hi. No, I mean, you literally run. Pete Rose was at the end of the, the street. There's one long main street. He, You know, the Hall of Fame's on one end. Pete Rose is on the other. We went and talked to Pete Rose. I, it's insane. Uh, said hello to Juan Marichal walking down the street. I mean, it's like the, the Hall of Famers, they're everywhere. And then after that, we went back down to uh, Queens and went to a Mets game. And probably one of the coolest parts of the story was at that time where the U.S. Open is played in tennis, Flushing, they were doing all the reconstruction. So we went in, and it was wide open because it was a construction area. We had a we had a case of beer, went in, went all the way to center court. Like, everybody's got hard hats on. We went into the champion's locker room. Like, we're not supposed to be there, right? We're just a bunch of late-20 idiots who – once again, not married, no kids, so we could do a trip like this. Only my brother was married, but he was just newly married. And we went into the champ. You go in there, and you're looking, right? It's it's Borg, McEnroe, Connors, Laver. Like, they have all the oil paintings in the champions room of all the U.S. Open winners. And we're in the, dude, we're in the champions locker room at the U.S. Open. Then we went to center court, went up to the main suite, and watch two guys play tennis. One guy was in a wheelchair. He was some uh, professional. He's on. I don't know what the tour is or whatever. But he was. You know, you're at center court watching these guys play. 
and practice and everything. This guy was amazing. He's in a wheelchair. Wah, wah. It was, and we sat there and we because we were there hours before the Mets and the Pirates will, would would play. Oh, that's gonna be a, that would have been a great game. You know, Pirates, who, of, Pirates of the late nineties, great bunch. And who got us tickets? Was and we, Brian Giles and my brother play golf in San Diego together, and we were at at the old Shea Stadium. Hanging out with Brian, sat with Brian Giles' ex-wife, also a San Diegan. And so, talk about that trip. Hall of Fame, Fenway, Yankee, Shea Stadium. It was incredible. Uh, Manhattan, partying in Manhattan. Couple, couple things. Did you bump into Tom Seaver? Did Tom Seaver bump into you? He's a big dude, so I think he bumped into me. Did, did he say sorry? Did you say sorry? No, I was just, uh, I can't remember. I was just like, oh, my God, it's Tom Seaver. And, I, and I remember I went, hello, Tom. He said he said something to me, and he kept walking. I mean, he was like, no big deal. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out, uh, you know, what the editor I got to remember, dude, Tom Seaver, you don't, because we, we see these guys as old guys, right? I want to say how big he was. He was a big dude. He seemed like a big dude. I don't have his height. But I literally like we we touched. He like like six one six one. He seemed larger than life. It's Tom Seaver. But he's Tom Seaver. I know exactly who he is. Right? He's walking. So we came around this corner, and I was kind of coming up the hill, and because there's the main street. Do it for this camera. There's the main street. That's the Hall of Fame, right? And the Hall of Fame's on the end, and everything kind of filters back town towards the lake. It's like a little Lake Tahoe. And and you see that uh, Esquaga, whatever it is, the the lake, and they have that they have the main hotel that's right on the water with the golf course. That's why it's like a little mini Tahoe. You can do boat rides. Now I'm going to recommend that you go in the fall. The leaves turn. It's absolutely beautiful when the leaves are turning in the Northeast, and it's not very crowded. When you're there for Hall of Fame weekend, oh my God! But when you're there in the fall, you can just. You know, there's no summer vacations. No one's bringing their kids. Kids are in school. You can have the whole Hall of Fame to yourself and be there. I'm serious. You could be. You got to go for days. You can't do it in one day. There's so much stuff to look at. You can only do it there for one day. And I've been very fortunate because of my grandfather and stuff. And my grandfather's there. They've taken us down below because I've gone other times with with my family back in the day. But the hotel on the lake is great. But the fact that I was kind of coming up the hill, we were coming around the corner, and we bumped into each other. The great. Tom C. But that's what you get. Stan Musial, they dropped him off all at trolleys the night before. The dinner's there, and we were there. Stan Musial got out of his trolley and started playing the home, uh, take me out to the ball ba- take me out to the ball game with his harmonica for the entire crowd. It's like a little it's like everybody's friends. Your friends, Stan Musial, I mean, no longer with us. But it was like it was incredible. If you ever get a chance to go to an induction ceremony, Highly, right? It's going to be packed. You're going to spend some. You're spend some cash, but it's highly worth it. Uh, Sam Musial, the only guy to have the same amount of hits on the road as he did at home, and I plan on arguably going, one of the greatest stats of all time, uh, and arguably one of the greatest hitters of all time, if not the greatest Cardinals player of all time. Although people argue Rogers Hornsby is a pretty good player too, but I'm going to go in a couple of years when Etro goes in. I think Beltre's in that same class too. He might be the year before, but it's like Etro and. I'm trying to forget who else is going to be. When did Ichiro retire? Has Ichiro retired? Yeah, I remember his last game. Was Are in- you sure? I was there in Japan. That was uh, when he. That was his last game. If you remember, I was the I was the only person live. 
I don't know what the Mariners were doing at the time, but I was I was one of the only humans broadcasting live from the Tokyo Dome as each year I'm sure the Mariners have, but we didn't see them. I don't remember seeing them. But Ichiro came back out after the ceremony with Bob Melvin was there, and then I did it play I did the play by play of Ichiro coming out to the entire crowd. I was there. Did he officially retire then? Yeah, that was his last that was his last official game. So that was five, that was 2019. So five years, five years would be 2024, and in that class, when we look to see who just some of the guys would be up for their first one, I'll uh, tell you whether they're Hall of Famers or not. Um, okay, bring it on, Beltre. Oh no, first ballot, uh, Joe Mauer. I believe he's a Hall of Famer. I would not. Bet first ballot. Okay, so for some reason, it's actually not. It's the next year then. It's for Etro. Let me see. If it's 2025. Now, if Etro's not going in, I give Mauer a better chance. Because remember, it's all. There's a game. There's a science to this. Okay. Uh, Dustin Pedroia. No. Uh, CC Sabathia. Yes. And then Etro. Yes. And then other guys that could be eligible. I don't know how King Felix is eligible, but they say he's on, could be on the first, first ballot. No. Other than that, I mean, you got – I mean, no one really comes close. Give Tula, me another one. Tulo didn't play long enough. Or Troy Tulowitzki in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, Curtis Granderson played very, long enough. Very great Troy Tulowitzki. We love you down the South Bay, but meh. The only guys that had a war, war over 50 that are eligible that year, Ian Kinsler, Pedroia, CC, and Ichiro. I always – even though he was always an opponent, I always liked Ian Kinsler. He was a good player. He could swing it. He was that gritty guy. He was that guy, a second baseman with pop that, that as a pitcher, you never liked facing. You never liked facing a contact guy who could also take you yard. Just F- FYI. As a pitcher, a guy who's all or nothing, a guy who's a strikeout guy, He's going to get you every once in a while, but I, I can get rid of him. I can pitch around him or strike him out as a pitcher. The guys that drive you nuts are the guys that are tough at bats and can take you yard. They are the toughest, worst guys to deal with. Uh, Kinsler in his career, 269, 257 home runs, 909 RBI. Not a big dude either, but and, no, not a baseball yeah, Hall of Yeah, and then I, I know people want to make the case for Pedroia. I think it's because of the Red How? Sox. How? It's what I say. How? I know he won an MVP, a couple World Series. He has a, what is it, 51.9 war. Couple World well, he was on one. Uh, he would have been on the 2000, oh, yeah, 2013. No, he, he wasn't. He wouldn't play. He had the knee injury. He is a two-time World Series champion. So what about oh that would have been thirteen and eight. Tell me how many games he played. What in two thousand oh eight? Uh one hundred and fifty seven. What year did they win the World Series? He wasn't on the O four team. How was he I, on two teams? Well, they won in twenty thirteen, and then they won again in. I don't know if he would have got one, but he. What year did they win? They won in O four. He they wasn't won again, on the team, and then they won again in O. Who they beat? It was. Uh, this is poor Red Sox knowledge by you. Usually I know the World Series winners, too. Um, it was Red Sox, White Sox. Did the Red Sox win the game or was it the Cardinals? How about I just go to the internet? Uh, 13 and 18, yeah. So he would have got one for 18 then. He played know. in three get Case in point. See, this is why you don't listen to Cody, and this is why you don't listen to these kids. I catch them all the time. 
I had one. We hired an intern from Syracuse who tried to fight with me that we're not drug testing anymore. Literally (laughs) was like swearing on it. We don't drug test anymore. We don't test for steroids anymore. No, 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 no. I'm like, okay, during the lockout, because like we didn't. But, yeah, once it was signed, it was back in. You sure? He's a two-time World Series champion when he played three games. I don't know. Baseball reference says two times. Oh, I'm sure he got a ring, but you're really going to put him as a well, like two-time? You have the same ring with Wainwright. Remember, Wainwright was hurt the year they won the World Series in 2011. And they only say he's a one-time uh, World they Series say he's, a one-time, he's a World Series champion. The years that he closed. Uh, yes. Yeah, he doesn't get two. So it picks and chooses when you're a world. If, like, if you're like Barry Zito and you did not – you pitched throughout the regular season, but you were left off the playoff roster. Yes, you count for being on that team. But if you only play three games in the regular season and you played none of the postseason, you shouldn't be counted. It's different. It looks like I mean, maybe they're playing favorites because he played for Boston. Oh, wow. All right. Are we ready? Yeah. I mean, normally when we bring her on, it's sunshine and lollipops today. I'm a little scared, Melissa. I'm a little scared. We got a lot of injuries. And, of course, you do a bang-up job. You cover the minor leagues as good as anybody for the athletics uh, on the athletic. And it's just a lot of scary news down there. What is going on? <laughs> it's baseball. <laughs> baseball is is pain, <laughs> I think, a lot of time, unfortunately. Injuries are a huge part of the game and, uh, you know, part of the reason that you acquire the number of prospects that they have acquired over the last, you know, six months and are going to need to continue to do so is because injuries happen. And so players don't progress necessarily how you would expect them to. Um, But there's, you know, definitely been their share of them so far this season. How are the injured guys that we got in the trades? Well, the only one who came completely injured <laughs> was was uh, Gunnar Hogland was, was, you know, like two thirds of the way through his Tommy John rehab. And, and as far as I'm aware, you know, things are progressing as they expected them to. Uh, he's he's they were aiming at like kind of a late July uh, debut for him, just, you know, given what the time frame was from coming off this surgery. Um, JT Ginn had had uh, an oblique thing in spring training when they acquired him, but it wasn't anything that prevented him from starting the season on time. He has developed a forearm strain um, that I think at first they were quite concerned about. He had had a Tommy John surgery in college. Um, the scans came back clean and it's, it, you know, it's just a matter of now getting back to the point where he can throw without discomfort again. So he's, in a light tossing program, there's no necessarily any time frame for his return, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be, you know, a long, long time. It's just a matter of how he feels each day. Um, same thing goes for Zach Geloff in terms of being day to day. He uh, injured his left shoulder diving for a ball. Um, it, you know, one of those freak things that happen. There's nothing a whole lot you can do about that. Uh, there's no, there's no, there's no prevention you can do for dislocating a shoulder in a dive. Uh, it suffered a torn labrum in his left shoulder. Um, it's the non-throwing shoulder. It is a injury that, if he was a pitcher, obviously would be extremely concerning if he was a left-handed pitcher as a position player it's something that if he can strengthen the shoulder enough to keep it stable he could play through and may never ever have to have surgery or maybe a thing where he plays for a while 
and it re-injures itself, and then he does have surgery. That's that's what happened to Luis Barrera back in 2019 when he had a very similar injury. Um, once the surgery happens, usually it's it's a non-issue for them, you know, once they've recovered from it. So I don't know that it's necessarily a super long-term thing. But obviously with a guy like Geloff, uh, who they were maybe – I'm not necessarily counting on to be ready next year because that would be a big jump for a guy who was drafted in 2021, but certainly was on a trajectory that that could have been possible. It may slow him down a little bit. Um, so definitely an unfortunate turn of events for him. You know, I'm having a hard time with timelines. And the reason why I say that is we're protecting kids in their 20s. And then we're realizing that all these organizations really don't want to pay guys in their 30s, and they don't want to make long commitments to guys in their 30s. So we protect ba- we protect and baby guys in their 20s and then don't want a whole heck of a lot to do with them in their 30s. What really is the window of a career now? I mean, when you yeah. really think about it. It's, you know, it's, it's tricky. I mean, I think the protecting guys really only happens with pitchers. Right. And, and that has much more to do with, uh, you know, kind of this ever chasing notion of how to prevent injuries with pitchers, which is something that nobody's figured out how to, how to do yet. Um, and I think as we continue to add more spicy breaking balls and high velocity fastballs, that the injuries that we thought, thought we could prevent from keeping guys on strict pitch counts and uh, throwing every so many days, are going out the window just by the sheer force that we're putting on these guys' arms. I think there's going to be a lot of kind of looking back and, you know, maybe at this year you start to see like a Paul Blackburn is among the the war leaders, uh, you know, for American league pitchers right now. So is Martin Perez. And these are not the guys that you would have expected based on pure stuff coming into this season, but the wear and tear that you're sort of seeing from some of these um, new elite pitches may be taking their toll a little bit, uh, but, you know, kind of going back to, to the idea of timeline. I mean, I think nobody develops guys with the idea in mind of when they're going to pay them necessarily. Um, in the A's case, they're going to, you know, they use their players until they can't afford them anymore. And depending on who the player is and when that comes, it is what it is, but they're, they're, they're what they're all organizations are looking for are the window of when that player is the best player that he can be. And every player is a little bit different. I mean, um, a high school player coming in is probably going to take longer to get to the big leagues um, just by virtue of the fact that he didn't have three years of college to really build up his skills and he's a little bit younger. So a Max Muncy, for instance, you know, in Stockton is going to move along a lot slower than a Zach Geloff who was drafted one round behind him in the same draft because he was three years of Virginia under, under his belt when he got to pro ball. Um, but that isn't necessarily with salary in mind. It has a lot more to do with the skills they've already acquired to that point. Once they get to double A, regardless of their age, I think then's when you can really start to see, okay, this pitcher, I mean, this player is getting to a point where you know who he's going to be or who you think he's going to be when he gets to the big leagues and you can start to plot out this is when he's going to get there. So, you know, that's, it's such a different thing. And, you know, and development is so nonlinear. And I think one of the other things that we've been noticing is that with position players in particular, as quickly as they've been getting to the big leagues, so many of them are struggling when they do get there that perhaps some of this idea of how quickly they're moving players is going to get revisited. You see a Jared Kellenick, you see Adelaide Rushman, all these guys that didn't have a lot of minor league time, especially because we lost that 2020 season. They got to the big leagues and it was a whole new world on them. And they hadn't really accumulated the, the skill level yet that they needed to get to 
you know, sustained success at the big league level. Um, Joey Bart in San Francisco, I think you've seen a lot of the same kind of thing. So it's not an exact science. And I think that's part of the frustration is that I think when everybody thinks they figured it out, new things pop up and the pandemic itself and the development of players right now has so skewed how we're looking at them that I think timeline has really just shifted on everybody. All right. I want you to play me and I'm a caller. So A's lose. Uh, right now you're 20 games under 500 and I call you up and I go, Hey, Melissa, it's Chris from San Jose. I'm tired of watching this. This doesn't work. Who is down on the farm that realistically can help this team this year and next year? That's a good question. Uh, I think you've seen a lot of them already, and and the fact that they haven't necessarily clicked right now does not mean they're not going to click for you later. I mean, um, you look at Sheldon Noisy, right? In in the April that he had, he looked like he was going to be a big part of the A's future, fell off the table in May, had to go back to, to Las Vegas, and since he's gone down to Las Vegas, he's hitting the ball hard again. You know, that, that whole hard hit rate completely fell off the table in May um, in early June in the big leagues. And now in a lower pressure situation, perhaps he's working on something. That it, things are starting to come back. Um, so, you know, some of the guys that people are frustrated with right now, you can't completely discount them. Obviously, Nick Allen is a guy I think is going to be an impact player for the A's. I've talked about him a lot, and I think he will come back at some point and be there. I'm really, really excited to see what Jonah Bride can do. Um, you know, he's not a kind of player you build your lineup around, but I think he's a guy <laughs> that can have a very subtle impact on a, on a lineup because he can see a lot of pitches. He has quality at bats. He gets on base a lot, and they haven't had a lot of that. You know, they've, they've had a lot of contact, relatively speaking, but they haven't had a lot of really good at bats where – they're driving up pitch counts early on. They're they're getting on base and turning the lineup over before the fifth inning. You know, that that kind of thing has been really lacking. And he's a guy that can really help stretch a lineup for you. Um, you know, I, I, I think Adrian Martinez had a nice debut start, and I think we'll probably see him again once the trade deadline comes and perhaps Frankie Nantas is, is somewhere else. Um, you know, so I, I think it's a lot of the guys you haven't seen. One, one reliever I think we will see by the end of this year is currently in double A is a, a Garrett Acton uh, throwing up to 98 really regularly, missing a ton of, of bats. Um, he's a guy that I think like Zach Jackson can kind of appear out of nowhere and suddenly be a setup guy, maybe even a closer in a very short period of time. Uh, so I would definitely keep an eye out for him. That sounds good because power arms, the A's need a lot more power arms Jonah Bride I can see last dive bar who's one of our sponsors already coming up with the t-shirt here comes the bride I can just see it happening now um I know you've been covering this because I I read you in the offseason where all of a sudden Jonah Bride's now going to catch and he's going to do anything he can to get to the big leagues which a lot of guys should pay attention to You should try everything. Versatility is key in our game with lack of bench help. And we got 8,000 guys down the bullpen. Guys that can play a lot of different positions can help you with your lack of bench depth. And I got his numbers hitting 347 so far with a 1,024 OPS in the minor leagues. I know you've been following this. You got to be really happy because you saw this coming all the way back this offseason. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a guy you root for if you're covering baseball anyway, right? 23rd round pick, so in today's game, he wouldn't have even been drafted, right? He would have been a non-drafted free agent, senior out of South Carolina, and went the JUCO route before he got there. 
Um, he's the kind of guy that, you know, I think Ed Sprague said it really well. You look at him and you're not going to be wowed by anything that he does when you're just looking at him once. But when you watch him every day, he's just the kind of player that does so many things well and helps your team. Um, and what he can do with the bat is really special. He uh, added, started monitoring the number of the amount of contact hitters make on fastballs in the zone in the A system last year. And Jonah was the number one hitter for that in the entire A system that included the big league roster last year. So that included guys like Matt Olson and Mark Hanna and Matt Chapman and everybody else. Um, and and that, that ability is fairly rare. I mean, that's part of the reason why you're seeing so many huge fastballs now is that guys can't necessarily hit quality velocity in the strike zone. Um, and he can, he can, he can use the whole field. Um, he works up counts, even though he's a contact guy, he's not a guy that's swinging on the first pitch. I mean, he's going to get quality, quality at bass for you. Um, and he's a very solid defender at third, second and first. And the catching, I mean, they said to him, hey, you know, get behind the plate and learn it. And he's catching in the Arizona Fall League. But that October, he'd been doing it for a month. You know, that's that's pretty impressive when you consider the quality of arms that go down to the Fall League and uh, came into camp. Uh, had to sit out because of the lockout until they 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 um, waived things because he was on the 40-man roster. Comes into camp, only gets a couple week, weeks with the big league guys, but did enough there to show what he you know he could do. He went down to Midland to catch more. Um, and he's not going to be an everyday catcher, but if you want to put all the catchers in the lineup like they're going to have today in Boston, he can be that guy if somebody gets hurt that he can move behind the plate, you know, um, or he can catch a, a game here or there. Um, to kind of stretch out a roster a little bit. If they decide they only want to carry two catchers and then somebody's is hurt, they won't have to call up a third. So um, he's a really good study on if you've got some talent, even if you're not going to wow guys with, by scouts, the hard work and, and, and everything that you put into it can get noticed. And, um, you know, I, I hope he stays. He's a kind of also the kind of guy that clubhouses tend to rally around too. So I think he's, he's a good move for this clubhouse. Well, and let's face it with Bethancourt being red hot right now and doesn't hurt you at first base. And if I'm going to have Jonah bride behind home plate, Melissa, I don't need him to be Johnny Bench or Pudge Rodriguez. No one runs anyway. I need him to hit. I need offense. I mean, I can tell you right now, I keep score and watch every inning of every game. Defensively behind the dish is not the reason why we're 20 games under 500, right? Right. Yeah, no, that's true. And and it was interesting, too, that uh, Gabe Ortiz is the ace catching coordinator and um, he was talking a lot about how, you know, catchers have gotten pretty fancy back right right? There's one knee down, there's one knee up, there's different stances. And, you know, they said to Jonah, like, let's just be basic here. You're going to have a basic setup. You're going to know how to call games. He's a very smart player, so he understands at bats anyway. Um, and they're not going to make it too complicated for him. So, you know, again, I, I don't think they envision him as an everyday catcher at any point. I think he could become at some point an everyday infielder. Um, but it's it's certainly an option that that they'll be able to utilize. Okay, so 3B tonight, like, if you had to say, okay, I, I'm going to have to play. I mean, he's not going to play short. I where, where Where is he best? If you had to say best position, if you're going to give him one glove. All right, how about this? If you're going to give him one glove, what glove and what position would you put him at? 
he was very solid at, at third base every time I've seen him. I think he's a he's a solid third baseman. His his arm is not Matt Chapman level, but it's fine for that position. Yeah, who's his? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, he's got good hands. He he moves laterally well, and 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 um, so I think he does fine there. He's a good first baseman as well. And I haven't seen him play as much second. That's been a newer position that he's added the last couple of years in Midland. But um, Bobby Crosby was very high on how he played there. And, you know, frankly said, if I stuck him at shortstop, I'm sure he'd do fine too. So, I mean, I think, you know, he's not, he's not, he's not a quick player. His, his lowest skill, if you're going to talk about tools would be his speed. So, so shortstop's probably not the best fit for him, but uh, first and third, you're not going to think twice about putting him there. Okay. So Kevin Smith goes down. You were expecting this guy to be able to handle third, Obviously, a natural shortstop could fill in at short if you needed. If something happened to Elvis, Pache, we we know how this season has gone. If you had to pick the most disappointing guy so far at the big league level for the Athletics, who you expect to be a part of your future, who would it be? Yeah, and I mean, I think that's a tough call. I think both, obviously, Pache and Smith have been disappointing in the sense that they haven't been able to hit now. They both had not been able to hit in their stints coming into this season when they were with the teams they were with before. So I don't know if it was a huge shock. And again, as I think if you look around the, the league, rookies around the league are having a difficult time right now. Um, and I think that that does speak to the, the development that those players lost in 2020. Um, I, I will have to say both Pache and Smith have not allowed their struggles offensively to carry over defensively. I think for the most part, they've been above average defenders, which is what you kind of expected when they were, came in. So I think that's been solid. Um, you know, I think for, for Smith going down to AAA the same way with Sheldon noisy that I mentioned earlier, you know, the idea of going in a low pressure environment to make some changes, because I think for young players, it starts to get really big on them really quickly. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it is disappointing that neither one of them has run away with, uh, the position yet, um, that, and given the run that they've been given, um, as starting players, but it, it's hard to be disappointed with young players. I mean, I think you just, you can't count on them to be the centerpiece of your team. That's why I think in the past, you've seen that the A's have worked their guy, young guys in around a veteran lineup and why I think they did bring back Jed Lowry and Steven Vogt and all these kind of guys when people are like, well, they're going young. Why would they bring the veterans in? But I think it's, you know, it's important for young players to not have to feel like they're carrying a team because this isn't basketball and they're not the number one pick. And, you know, they can't, you can't build an offense around one particular guy. So um, this is, it's a process and um, hopefully they will be better for the struggles. You know, I think with Pache, he's making hard contact. So I think Smith, it's probably, his numbers are more reflective of the contact that he's made than, than with Pache at this point. All right. I've had something waiting for you. <laughs> How long have you been kind of covering the minor leagues? Since uh, 2004. All right. This article came out on ESPN.com. How one pitching prospect could change MLB draft forever by not pitching. <laughs> We've yeah. seen in football, we have seen players not play the end of their season in the rivalry game, back out of bowl games to get ready for the NFL draft. Basketball, seen it. Now what's going to happen if we yeah, get so into this with baseball? Yeah, yeah. Right. What, yeah. What are we going to do now in yeah. baseball if we've got kids and we're 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 going to get into this today where 
everybody's becoming workout warriors. Everybody is getting their body in the best possible shape. They work out. Look at the numbers on StatCast. Look at the number on TrackMan. Look at the numbers on Hawkeye. But the actual in-game competing, not so much. What's going to happen, especially to pitching, if we've got guys that are doing this with the draft? Heck, they might come to organizations and they may say to general managers, agents, hey, listen, I want my guy only pitching so much, and this is why, because of the injuries. Does stuff like this, limiting the volume of players, scare you? Yeah, I mean, so it's interesting that Brandon Barrera is the, the the pitcher that they talked about. And we actually did an article. So my, my main job is actually as an editor for our, our minor league coverage and our draft uh, coverage for The Athletic. And uh, one of my writers, Maria Torres, has been covering Brandon, uh, you know, for about a year now. And he made the decision to shut down early about a month and a half before his high school season was going to end. Um, in, in part, because frankly, almost every good pitcher for the first round in this draft has gotten hurt so far. And I can't imagine what would be going through the mind of a young pitcher in looking at that. Um, and I think in pitching in general, because so much of what teams are scouting on does have to do with the TrackMan data that they're getting and, and, bullpens and, and maybe less to do with the in-game results. You almost sort of saw this coming. The reaction around the industry was fairly mixed. I mean, I think some people understood it and other people felt like it was a reflection perhaps on the idea that um, this kid isn't ready to compete, you know, and I don't know that we, you know, they're, also they're getting advice from adults. And so putting anything on a kid, I think is unfair at this point, but um, I, I think we're going to have to wait and see. I, I don't know that it's going to be, as big a trend perhaps as what that article made it out to. Um, I, I do think in general, the fact that we did have, and I, I hate keep going back to this idea of 2020, but we had an entire season that was lost on the, every single level, at least half of or all of for that year. For, and for pitchers in particular, that was a year that they didn't get the innings that they were going to get. So um, I think you're, you're seeing as many injuries as you're seeing in part because in, in, innings had to, click up so much last year and then this year on these guys that um, the strain was coming out. So there, there are a few unique variables in there. You know, that being said, there is a lot lost when you don't play. And I think you see that with um, the international system, the way it is now and players from the Dominican in particular are, are showcase players as opposed to actually playing. Um, whereas you look at some of the other countries like Venezuela that have actual high school baseball programs they're a lot more game ready when they get to professional baseball, but there's a big difference between being 16 and having two years in the Dominican summer league and being 18 or 19 or even 21 in some cases, and not having a lot of game experience and having to come right into professional baseball. Um, so I do, I do think a lot gets lost with competitiveness. I, you know, one of the reasons that Jared Koenig is, is a guy that I you know was really excited to see. And also I think is someone that has been able to have the success is because He's had to compete for literally every shot he's ever had, right? You know, here's a guy, he he got drafted late by the White Sox and then they didn't even offer him a contract. So he didn't get to turn pro. He had to play, you know, uh, independent baseball for four and a half years. He had to go to Australia. Um, that shows a certain level of competitiveness and willingness to try new things and be aggressive that you don't necessarily see if a guy's been sort of protected in the way that some of these kids get protected early on. And I do think it helps you when all of a sudden you're in a tough situation 
on the mound and you're going to have to will your way through it as opposed to just stuff your way through it, if that makes sense. Um, and so, you know, there are probably going to be some ramifications for it. You know, that being said, there's so much money involved. There's so many opportunities involved. Um, you know, you hate to, to kind of judge somebody for making a decision that, you know, really can kind of set their families up for, for a long time. So, um, I see, very, I see definitely both sides of it, but I think the more baseball that players play, the better they are at it. And I know that sounds very simple and stupid, but it's, it's very true. It's, you know, you, it's a very, very difficult game. And there are so many things that go into understanding what a situation is like when you've got runners on and, you know, less than three out and less than two outs. And you've got to figure out how to get out of that situation that you just don't get when you're in a bullpen and they're just measuring those spin rates. So I'm not really a big fan of it, um, but I do understand why it happens. And, um, and especially this year with the rate of injuries, I can see why it happened this year. But, um, but I also think, you know, the industry is going to tell these kids what they're going to want and what they're not going to want. And if it's not well received this year, um, I don't think it'll grow into a huge trend. Ah, I'm seeing the exact same thing happen in golf. Everybody's worried about their track man numbers. And sometimes that doesn't equate to how you actually score on the golf course. We're now seeing more golfers injured than ever before. We have a bunch of young men who are constantly training to the technology. They're not playing games. And I've said it on my show, and I will stick by this. This year is a tipping point because we're running out of pitchers. And pitchers are throwing less than ever before in the history of our game. You can give me lockout. You can give me COVID. This has been trending for a long time. I had a conversation with Scott Emerson. I said, you watch. In five years, you're going to need a 20-man staff to get all the innings you need because starters just aren't pitching. But I want to end on this because you said something that was really interesting that a lot of people don't know about this. We don't harp on it too much. But, yes, the international players, they don't play baseball. They they do exactly what I'm talking about. They train. That's all they do is train. Scouts go down and watch him, look at his size, look at his speed. And one of the great examples is Robert Poisson. A's gave him $5.1 million to sign. Really never watched him play in baseball games. But, boy, he was a man-child. Where are we now with him and that $5.1 million and never really watched him play games? Yeah, I mean, he's he's had a very rough start to his professional career. Um, I don't know if it's going to come together for him. He's, uh, you know, they've, they've tried a few things this year with him. They've taken switch hitting away and tried to have him focus on one side at a time to see if that helps because it's, it's a lot to try to learn two swings when you also are kind of making up for the fact that, you know, you didn't have a lot of experience coming in. The talent flashes at times. I mean, you'll see it. You know, you'll see him hit a home run and you'll see him make a great play and you'll see him run the base as well. Um, but it's just not anywhere close to consistent. And I think it's it's unfortunate, you know, they don't have short season anymore. And that might have been a level that would have been a lot more appropriate for him to be learning at than, than this level. But, um, you know, the way things have kind of sped up on him, I, you know, I'm not sure, you know, where it's going to come out. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's tough. I mean, he's he's a very talented kid. He works hard, but, um, you know, it's it's he doesn't have the natural sort of instincts necessarily that you might see from somebody that had played a lot of games coming in. Um, and it's, you know, again, it's, it's kind of unique to the Dominican in the way that, that it's set up there right now. I mean, kids from 
Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Panama, a lot, a lot of them do play a lot of baseball um, because they have high school systems that are set up. You know, they're talking about in a couple of weeks, they're going to make a decision about whether there's going to be an international draft. And there's a whole lot of pros and cons to that as well. Um, but one of the things that could end up end up being is changing the way, um, you know, the baseball factory kind of system is done in the Dominican. Um, we'll, we'll have to kind of see how that goes. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough and, it, you know, it's, it, it's, it's just a tough situation right now. They made so many changes to how minor leagues are set up. Um, and then they had a pandemic and they stuck with them and they eliminated a whole level. And they, it, it's just, you know, and I think we're, we're seeing a whole bunch of things that are just not matching up right now. And Robert's sort of been one of them, unfortunately. Your work covering the minor leagues and the athletics is second to none. It's fabulous. And thank you for what you do because this year, uh, in any year, uh, that we need this, and probably the next couple of years, it's it's invaluable what you do. Well, thanks. I'll, I'll be here for you. It's been it's been a long time. I've seen a lot of ups and a lot of downs, and um, you know it, it is cyclical. I will say the one thing that I think people forget is how cyclical it really is. And as bad as things are now. Um, you know, it can be a year or two and things are, are bright sunshine again. So um, nothing is forever, <laughs> I think, is the thing to remember. Great stuff. We will uh, talk to you soon and uh, tune into pregame to- today because this will be replayed on pregame. Okay. Thank you so much. Take care. Be well. Bye. She's awesome. Awesome. Cover this stuff and help us out. Because not a lot of it looks good. I'm telling you, this is a horrible road to go down. This is stuff they fear. They're scared to death of this in the NFL. They're scared to death of this in the NBA. And now it's coming to baseball. Kids in high school, I don't want to play anymore because of where I want to go in the draft. She just said all the kids, the majority of them going in the first round, are already all injured. Everybody pitching to max every single time you put a ball in your hand. Every single time. Look at this camera. Every single time I put this in the hand, I'm throwing it as hard as I can. I'm taking my slider. I'm getting as much as I can. My curveball is as much as I can. My split finger, it's as much as I can. You know what that does to your elbow? Every single time you pick this up and you get on the mound and it's full velocity, it's full everything when you're split and your slider... It's not good. It's not sustainable. And why I compare it to golf is because these golfers are going out to the range and pounding balls, and they got their track mans there. Everything. But your back, your hands, your arms, your spine, your hips, it, you, your body can only take so much. Why do you think they don't hit every day in football? Because your body can't take it. Why do you think they don't run up and down the floor every day and practice with the NBA? Because they can't take it. They just have shoot-arounds. And they do walkthroughs. Because the human body, the ankles, the knees, they can't take it. You guys are all so enamored with velocity. You know what? You run out of pitchers. Ask the Tampa Bay Rays. Cody, did, uh, did, did uh, Cody, you've been in on this. The Rays and the amount of guys that they've got hurt. Kittridge, another guy. Nick Anderson hasn't returned. They've got so many guys since 2018. They're turning and burning these guys. Hey, that's great for the Rays. Is that good for the humans? 
Is that good for these guys' careers? Oh, you pitch till your arm blows, he's gone. You pitch till your arm goes, he's gone. They're a factory of injured players, and they don't care because they feel they'll just find another guy to replace you. So, and give you context, the Rays since 2018 have used 93 pitchers overall. Um, that, I think that includes position players. As a good team. Yeah, that's 10. Not, not like a bad team like, hey, we just got a bunch of crap guys and we're kind of just fi- trying to find people. What, what's crazy is that's not even the most. That was 10th most. The Mariners have used 100. But the Mariners have been a crap team. Yeah. Ever you're going to bring me up who's ahead of these guys are not yeah. teams competing to be the, in the postseason. So this year, so far this year, including position players, so our good friend Brett Phillips, Maverick, they've used 28 guys already this year and we're in June. That is, I think it's the second most um, by guys, third most in baseball. For context, the A's have used 26, including position players. The Astros have the least. They've, they've only used 18 guys. The Yankees at 19. Where are the Astros and the Yankees at? Uh, Yankees have the best record in baseball, and the Astros are right up there too. Now, the Rays are still competitive, but you're right. Kittredge, Tommy John, or not Tommy, yeah, he's having Tommy John, I believe, out. Nick Anderson, 60-day IL, hurt. Uh, Peter Fairbanks, remember Fairbanks, a two-time Cy Young, or two-time Tommy whoa, John. Whoa, yeah, yeah. whoa, whoa, Two-time uh, Tommy John surgery Let, guy. Can I explain it? The big, lurchy-looking guy that they had coming out of the bullpen in was 2020. Yeah. And he had the great – he always moved his legs on the mound. He's on the injured list. Luis Patino, who throws hard, he's on the injured list. They have so many guys on the injured list, it's unbelievable. They have uh, – they've already used 12 different starting pitchers. They have 11 pitchers, even including guys in the minor leagues, on the injured list this year. Eleven. And they've used 28 guys this year. Well, 27 of you include Brett Phillips. And now we're talking about high school kids. Are you going to have college pitchers who go, ah, I'm not going to play in the regionals. I'm not going to play in the super regionals. God knows I'm not going to pitch in the College World Series. That's coming. So what do we have? We have a bunch of workout warriors. That's what they become. They become workout warriors. They don't become ball players. There is something to actually playing the game and having instincts. It's like pitchers. We're teaching all these guys to come in, and I can hear people going, ah, it's just a bunch of old men. No, you're not teaching them how to actually play the sport. You're teaching them how to work out and be great at throwing bullpens. These throw factories, you see it all the time, the videos of these kids that are at these, I, I saw one about this one. We have one here in the Bay Area down in Morgan Hill where every kid is just trying to maximize velocity. There's no hitters at the plate. There's no competing going on. It's just how do I throw the ball as hard as I can? And look at how many guys, I mean, look how many guys are hurt going into this draft. We're already drafting hurt players. The majority of the kids taken in the first round this year have already had major some type of major injury, really, which is Tommy John surgery. Yeah, the number one, the number one pet prep kid, Dylan Lesko, who's a righty, had Tommy John surgery, and that's why the the kid, the left hander, uh, Barreria, Brandon Barreria, who's going to be a, a probably a top ten pick, he's not, he's gonna, not going to play. Or he Good sat luck. out the rest of his like what was it, last two months of his senior year this year. Good luck, Casey Mize coming up with the Tigers. Up, oh, where's he? Uh, Tommy John surgery now. They're all. Why would why would you even? Why would you even give a pitcher money? Steven Strasburg. Oh, God, here what, we go. Since he signed that contract won the World Series, he's pitched 31 innings. Yeah, and as an ERA, what was that, like close to seven? Um, he's on the injured list again. Again, yeah. seven years, $245 million. World Series MVP. Terrific. He's been in the Major Leagues 13 years. How many years has he made 30 or more starts? What? 
Trustberg. In what? His career? In his career. 30 more starts in the season. Two? Three? Three times. Yeah, nothing. No three volume. Three times. Volume, folks. Volume. We got, uh, what, do we got what do we got coming up uh, next? Jesse Goldberg Strassler is coming on. Um, he's doing Kotze's media scrum, so it's going to be a few minutes. That's fine. Um, I'd like to take you back to Arizona, out by the pool. We stopped by a really cool cigar bar, and they have these in Arizona. It's amazing. It's a full bar, but it's a cigar bar. So everybody's in there smoking cigars. It's a full bar. Uh, it's not California. Remember how cool that place was? What was it called? Oh, in Arizona? Um, I'd have to look it up. It was the Fox or something? Like that? It wasn't with the Fox. There was a Fox out with a cigar. That was their logo. Yeah, but I, I can't remember the name of it was. Super Scottsdale. I, I, super I, I, school. I, I had a few cocktails. Super cool then. spot. I had a few cocktails, I mean, by then. Um, and then we went back and sat by the pool and smoked cigars and had this debate. How much are you liking Kenny Rogers, the gambler's career now, now that you know what's going on? Um, I mean, he has, he has a nice longevity. The volume of his career. I mean, volume is something that's dying in our sport. Like, how big, how big, like in five years, if we're going to have players who are skipping pitching in high school and college, limiting them in the minor leagues, and guys are giving you less and less as you've already bet me this year not one guy will have 200 innings. In five years, how many pitchers are you going to need to get through 162 games? Well, we did the math. How many outs was that? It was like 4,300-something yeah. outs. Um, and that's not counting extra innings. Yeah. Uh, I think your idea of the 20-man, I mean, we're already at 14. What is it? You're going to need 17? You're going to need 18-man staffs, 20-man staffs? What are you going to – with the amount of position players pitching right now, it's like every day. It's like every single day. What's his name? Uh, Frank the Tank just threw the throw, slowest pitch in the history of oh, yeah. Frank, Frank Schwindel. That's A's legend, Frank Schwindel. Like, it's like every day we have position players pitching. It's a mockery. Yeah, the position player thing is. Then you got the issue that happened Lowe's that two weekends ago with the Dodgers where Dave Roberts didn't know you had to be down by six runs to bring in a position it's player. It's a joke. And the, and the Mets were pissed about it. The Mets were like, you're giving up on the game? You're the Dodgers. You have the like, best offensive base when you're – and you're only not five. We had we had one team. You had two first place teams. One team was giving up in the game, and the other team, who normally would be like, "Great, they've given up. We've won." Went, "No, you need to keep playing." Yeah, it would be different if it was the Mets playing uh, the Orioles or them playing the you know well, the Pirates. But all right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have Jesse making his debut at Fenway Park right here on A's Cast Live. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, so show your pride and celebrate Glenn Burke Pride Night 
at the ballpark this Friday. Yes, that's a few days from now. This Friday, June 17th, as the A's take on the Kansas City Royals. Our good friend Two Hit Wit, who I'm trying to get on this show, Sal Perez. On the field, Two Hit Wit. That'll be the third time we would have him. $5 from every ticket sold will benefit the Oakland LGBTQ Center, whose mission is dedicated to enhancing and sustaining the well-being of LGBTQ individuals, their families, and allies by providing educational, social, and health-related activities, programs, and services. Early arriving fans can get a commemorative Glen Burke Pride Night hat, which Tony's holding right here, presented by Gilead as we take on the Kansas City Royals. You can get your tickets at athletics.com slash tickets. That's athletics.com slash tickets. I want to thank Gilead for providing the sweet hat that Tony's holding right there. The owner bills money. <clears throat> I still have this one, too. The AAPI one? Yeah. The under bill was great. Is Jesse here? He is. There he is. Well, hello. How are you? Things are good. I'm in the majors. Do you think, like, of all the great players in American League history who made their debut at Fenway Park, are you going to go down with, like, Ted Williams and all the great Red Sox? I mean, you're making your debut at one of the most historic places, just not in baseball, but in all American sports. I'm not in the top two, but I'm in the top 20 at least, maybe top 200. <laughs> so what was it like when you land in Boston? It's like, wow, you're going to make your debut at Fenway Park. What was it like? Just take us through this journey so far, landing there in Boston and going to Fenway Park today and getting up to that press box. I mean, the feeling has been, from my mind, just don't embarrass myself. So whatever prep work that I can study – if I can try to find out how many gallons of paint it takes to paint the green monster, if I can look into anything I can find about Christian Bethencourt that can give me the edge, and then after that, then I can take a deep breath and go, yeah, let's enjoy some baseball. Yeah, you need to enjoy every moment of this. And I think about you recreating games. Have you ever recreated a game from Fenway Park that's already happened? Not yet. But I guess because I haven't done it yet doesn't mean I'm not going to. I don't need to do it because I'm here. I recreate games that I can't see. So I I, I, I just think about Fenway, too, just how historic it is. I mean, it'd be great for you to make your debut anywhere, one of the new ballparks, all that. But just what does it mean to do it at such a historic place? I'm an enormous baseball fan. And, I mean, historians study the history, and then what they write – I read. So all of the stories from, okay, so this ballpark is 110 years old and reading about Duffy's Hill, that 10 foot mound that used to lead up to the the monster, reading about, okay, let's talk about why it's called pesky pole or all the players who've played here. In the minor leagues, I enjoy telling our players, think about the prospects who came before you. Think about the decades worth of the greats who played here, who learned here, who grew here and here the memories, the moments, the legends, the guys who are the opposites of legends, the bloopers that have happened here. There's just so much that has transpired. So, yes, it does. It does make this stand out. And let's say I was making my debut in Seattle. 
Yeah, I'm so happy for you. This is uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. By the way, we appreciate the lug nuts gear that you sent us. We've been repping it here on A's Cast, and I've also done it for my TV hits on NBC Sports California. We want to say thank you for that. We're giving love to our lug nuts. How do you rock, both of you guys? I appreciate you going a little bit nuts with us. So how is it down in Lansing these days? Things are good, especially with Tyler Soderstrom warming up. Lawrence Butler caught fire recently. There's legit talent. And we got to see that with Jeff Criswell, Hogan Harris, Austin Beck getting promoted. Denzel Clark coming into Stockton. These are the beautiful days in Michigan in June. This is when you want to play baseball. And we're seeing some pretty darn good talent start to poke its head up. When you see Soderstrom out there on the field and it compared to everybody else, is there real? And I've been reading the minor league reports. Obviously, he is doing well. But when you look at him as he's getting bigger, as he's growing, becoming a man since being drafted out of high school, out of Fresno, are, are you starting to see like, yeah, this is what a big leaguer looks like? So I could see flashes of it in April. I could see it in that bat. And here's what really stands out. You'll see a pitcher start to get a little cocky because he'll strike this guy out with a high fastball, strike that guy out with a high fastball. He gets ahead of Tyler, no balls and two strikes, high fastball time, and Tyler whacks it out of the ballpark. Same thing, breaking ball away, strikes out this hitter, breaking ball away, strikes out this hitter. Tyler takes him out to left center. We're searching for the consistency. That's the big thing for any player in the minor leagues, especially at the lower levels. You want to see it at bat after at bat. You want to see it game after game. Uh, But the ability, the actual potential to do it his bat is so quick he can read and barrel and the power is legit to all fields so watching him grow watching him adjust watch him get tested and challenged in a difficult league in difficult pitchers ballparks and especially in april with the freezing weather this year has been a great growing challenging experience for him yeah how cold is it early on in the season you can't feel your hands. So I'll ask the pitchers, I'll say, is it worse to be a pitcher or a hitter? And the pitcher goes, oh, it's so much worse to be a pitcher. I can't throw a breaking ball. I can't do anything. I'll ask the hitters the same question. The hitters are like, if you don't hit it on the barrel, it's it's bad news. So, no, nobody likes playing baseball in April. Yeah, I got to think, what would be worse? I would just think from high velocity, I would want the pitcher to know where it's going and if you're throwing in cold weather, you throw in a little bit of wind, he's not feeling it, but he's still throwing it at high velocity. I think I wouldn't want to be a hitter just knowing that I don't know if this guy knows where the ball's going. No, it's uncomfortable. And it's funny, too, because the pitcher doesn't work in because he's going to drill the guy. But the batter doesn't want the pitcher to pitch in because then he's going to get jammed. And so what you end up with is either a lot of quick at-bats with guys swinging away immediately or – What we saw with Lawrence Butler at the start of the year where the dude just took everything. And I would say, why aren't you swinging? Why aren't you being aggressive? And it was too cold to swing. So you you needed all these guys to get their bats out and, and honest to goodness, thaw. Everybody needed to thaw out in May. And then do you then see, like, the community where everybody kind of comes out of hibernation and now everybody gets around the ball club because now it's summer, it starts to get humid, it's barbecue, it's have a good time. What's it like when, when everybody starts to come out and it's time to start going to baseball games again? 
the crowds change. We have maybe the number two, the number three attendance per game in the Midwest League, especially Fourth of July. We draw more fans than anybody else, but you don't know it in April. In April, you can count the crowd. You can everybody knows everybody else by their first name by the fourth inning. But once you get into May, and especially June, that's when we start seeing seven thousand, eight thousand per game, and that's when you see the energy lift the players. When there's nobody there, they have to supply their own energy. When there's a crowd there, especially our Thursday nights with Michigan State students, Thursday nights are a zoo, and it's awesome. Why do I think there may be some type of uh, beer specials going on if it's Michigan State night? Oh, you think right. Would you prefer (laughs) to have $2 domestics or $5 crafts? I know. Down down here, Cody always goes to the San Jose Giants game. They got the beer batter, so what they do is they pick the guy – who's got usually the lowest batting average, and if that guy strikes out, it's half-off beers. I've literally seen grown men push women and children out of the way to get in line for the beer batter. It's it's really incredible. We've got the beer bats, too. The other thing, too, is if you're looking for a date, you can always find a date on a Thursday night in Lansing. Oh, I love it. It's a cheap date, too. $2 beers. Hey, you want a Bud Light? (laughs) All right, give me some sleepers down there with Lansing right now. Give me who are some guys he got? Yeah, he might have a shot. What do you know about Drew Swift? Nothing. Okay, eighth rounder, Arizona State last year, Gold Glove winner, best defensive shortstop in all of college baseball, fastest guy in the Midwest League. If he gets on, he can steal any base that he wants. He's already scored from first base on a single earlier this season. So the glove is awesome. The speed is awesome. Prototypical leadoff hitter. He gets on pretty easy to drive him in, and Austin Beck drove him in virtually every time. Keep his name in your back pocket. The guy he reminds me of in Lansing, whom we saw and now made it up to the majors as the fastest guy, is Tim LaCastro. We'll see if he wow. can eat even better, but like we're talking dy- dynamite speed, and the defense is legit. I really think that. People might have slept on Tyler Soderstrom because the injury stopped him from catching. You know his name. Then he got slid back down. He had a tough April. The bat's not going anywhere. That bat is going to be just fine. Let me – we were talking Thursday, Thursday. What do you know about the name Blake Beers? Uh, I've said during the minor league reports, if this guy ever gets to the big league level, I see some merch. I see some sponsorships going his way. Okay. So it's beers and sliders because Blake Beers slider, you could call it the best slider on the team. It's got to be one of the best sliders in the org. And when you, you know, put that alongside that mid nineties fastball showed up with us, struck out 11 and six scoreless innings immediately. Next time out took on the best offense in the league, grinded, struck out seven and six innings. They couldn't touch him. He just went to the mound, pitched to contact and again, seven innings with ease, three starts, three quality starts and the minors, when you don't throw quality starts in the minor leagues, he's a guy, he was terrible at Michigan. Look at his stats. 19th rounder last year. What a find and what a great job the organization has done working with him to develop him. Do me a favor. Tell him if he gets to the big league level, I'll get him like a sponsorship like Applebee's, beers and sliders. I'll get something for him. If he gets here, I will have extra money for him. You can guarantee him that. He's such a good guy. I think he'd be in. No, great stuff. Hey, congratulations. You have earned it. Uh, thank you, everything you do for AceCast. We really appreciate it. And good luck. And, and you know what? The most important thing the next three days, because I know, am I talking to you today during the broadcast? 
Yeah, you're talking to me, top of the cast. So I'm going to have you for two, two. Enjoy. Enjoy every moment of it. You've earned it. Chris, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Shout out my man, Cody. Love it. Take care. I just realized something, Cody. My chair hit the jersey here. And my jersey popped off the wall. It's the first time we've had that happen. You know, I, I'm actually kind of, I'm actually kind of uh, impressed that it, it took this long for it to happen. The chair, my 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 patio chairs. We moved the chairs around that we didn't, that we just don't have. I want to get that. You know what I really want? I've I've seen the advertisement for it. Those chairs that massage your back. They're the business chairs for like you know a desk. Oh, okay. And they have like warm and it can heat it up and massage your back would they just it won't fit no i, I mean i kind of like the patio chair look you do i mean i've been using well the, the color goes with the background yeah, i've been using the same chair since we did it we did it used to start doing stuff in here in 2019 when we had the big you used the big computer chair and i had the patio chair when no well, one i, I have the big comfortable computer chair the problem is it keeps it in the jersey behind me so i had to uh what does peyton manning like to say omaha i did a little omaha um you mentioned good it. for Jesse though. How cool is that? It's it's awesome, and I'm happy for him. I've I've talked with Jesse for the last couple of years. Um, we carried a couple Lansing games on AceCast. Um, they yeah. him, him and Adam Jaxa, his his uh, partner, do a great job on calling the Lansing games. Uh, extremely happy for him. He has a unique career path. Um, like he started out calling like theater events in DC to making his way into baseball, doing recreation broadcasts, not using like he makes his own sound effects like a bat crack and all that stuff. Like, it's he does a fantastic job. Happy for him. I was happy for Bob Hards last week. Uh, you know, obviously, we you created Alex Jensen's career, so uh, hopefully we can keep creating no, careers No, not, not, not according to his future father-in-law, the Mr. Red Sox broadcaster. It's all <laughs> about Ken Korak. Ken Korak made that all happen. When did Ken Korak get Alex Jensen paid? Who gives does Ken, does Ken like Alex stay with him when he comes to town? Uh, all I know that Alex Jensen bought somebody a beer at a Warriors game. Was that Ken Korak? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't know if they went to a game, but I know he got you one. What started his career with the A's broadcasting? It's the most important beer that man ever <laughs> bought in his life. Had nothing to do with Ken Korak. Can, can you imagine this? I can't believe Ken Korak gets all this credit for stuff. We love Ken. Ken's the voice of the A's, one of the great voices in the game. What the hell did Ken Korak do? I, I don't know. But I know you helped him with Ace Cast and getting him on the pre and post. I and- got him on Ace Cast. I got him on the pre and post. And his father-in-law is telling me, oh, everything Ken Korak does. See, that's when you're the star. You don't have to do anything and you get all the credit. Yeah. Ask Ken Korak how billing works. You think he knows? <laughs> You think you think Korak knows how much people make per game? No. Uh, by no. The, by the way, Ken Korak back on Friday when we take on the. Uh, hey, I'm not going to have issue with Ken Korak when he comes back. Remember taking all the credit. Remember Friday, you can get your tickets for Pride Night. Get the Pride hat where I think you, we put it back down, but you can get your tickets athletics.com/slash tickets on Friday when again two hit wit and the Royals come to town. I completely forgot John Mabry is on their coaching staff. Do you remember from Moneyball? Might remember him as Maybree, maybe no Maybree. I remember as a St. Louis Cardinal. Yeah, he he had a nice career. Uh, I asked the I I he can hit. He's a Stanford guy, right? I want to say maybe John right. Maybury's a Stanford Cardinal. 
But that's I, all we need is more Stanford. Hey, what happened to Stanford? No, they won. They're going to the college world series. Did they went to it? So they, I went Friday night. David Esker. Uh, sorry, I went. I went Saturday night and they lost. Thirteen twelve was the final score. They lost. Then they won Sunday. Thirteen twelve. They won Sunday and they won yesterday. Uh, it's them at Auburn knocked off Oregon State in Corvallis. Roxy Bernstein on the call. Uh, so that's that's uh, great for Stanford. Great for our, our friend David Esker. So now the question is, will he be having a stake at the Drover, which is the famous steakhouse? That they all go to, all the College World Series people. He said he was going to when he talked to us. He said Drover they- Restaurant and Lounge, Omaha's Original Whiskey Steaks. Look how good that looks. It does. Well, I, um, I, would, I would love to go to, to the College World Series. We'll have to get Farron on. Mike Farron, call, I think he's calling games for the College World Series. I mean, we're talking about baseball overall, but he's going to be in Omaha for the College World Series. I think that starts this weekend. June, yeah, well, June seventeenth, so Friday. Yeah. So who's in it? Uh, I'd have to pull up all the teams. Well, obviously Auburn and. Um, oh, are you ready for this? Are you ready? Are you hungry? Anybody hungry? The Drover has been known for over forty years for our whiskey marinated steaks. Our special marinade is a combination of secret ingredients, including whiskey, of course. Your steak is soaked for 15 minutes only when you place your order so the marinade does not overpower the flavor of our beef. Come in and enjoy Omaha's best. Omaha. So I, don't, I can't do it like Peyton, but figured I'd drop that in there. Um, John Mabry, by the way, went to Westchester, part of the PSAC conference. So there's another. He did not go to Stanford? Stanford no. So it's Oklahoma. Texas A&M, that's the first game on Friday. Then it's Notre Dame who knocked off number one Tennessee, which was – Wait, didn't Tennessee win the first game of that series? I believe so, but then Notre Dame won the, the next fighting – hey, let me tell you something. Those Tennessee fans were popping off big time because I watched a little bit of a couple of – because those games were on ESPN. Yeah, ESPN, or ESPN two, ESPN two, yeah. And I was watching. I watched, and boy, they were talking a a big old game in Rocky Talk, uh, Rocky Top in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah. Fifty six and seven, their record was. The no, the Fighting Irish, Notre Dame. Look yeah. at that. So Oklahoma. By the way, Notre Dame, they've got sick uniforms. Yeah, they're the they're the navy blue, and they got the gold helmets. They were pretty sick. So Notre Dame, Texas, and then so first day, Oklahoma, Texas A and M. Notre Dame, Texas. Saturday, Arkansas, Stanford, Ole Miss versus Auburn. Nothing like an SEC matchup in the College Did World Virginia Series. Did Virginia Tech make it? No. Good. I got to tell you, there's some Bush League things going on in minor league baseball. Did you see Virginia Tech where they throw the hammer and the guy throws that and they all jump Minor up league baseball down? or you mean college baseball? College baseball. Okay. Did I say minor league? Yeah. College. They're all painting their faces like they're the ultimate warrior. Well, that's – I mean, I love the Ultimate Warrior, RIP, but – Yeah, if you're in professional wrestling, it's ridiculous. We got Julian? Yeah, he's here. All the way back in Boston from a forever road trip on the West Coast. How are you, my What's friend? What's going on? I'm well. How are you guys doing? Uh, Well, for you, covering a team that just won 8-10 on the West Coast, life had to be a little bit easier for you in the Boston Globe. Yeah. Yeah, especially, but hopefully, you know, uh, I know you guys have the Warriors out there, so you guys you guys have it going well out there, too, so. <laughs> uh, is there a little panic in Beantown with their C's right now? 
Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. I mean, you know, they 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 turn the ball over so much, but you know, they usually typically find ways to win. They never lost back to back games in the playoffs this year, so definitely, I think this is a different beast that they're facing in, in Golden State. You know, the funny thing about you know New England is that the amount of championships that all four teams have won. And obviously, my God, you look at what under Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, you look at the Red Sox. I mean, the, what 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 are the expectations like in Boston, in New England for their teams? Because there's been so many championships and so many parades. I think it's like championship or bust a lot of times I mean, for most of the teams. Even if you talk about like even the Bruins, but um, more so, especially with the with the Red Sox, with the Patriots, and with Celtics, sort of, um, you know, it's it's you got to win a championship. And I think they they've given given the Celtics a, a tough time because they haven't won since what two thousand eight. So that's kind of like uh, you know, it's kind of like the Yankees in New York. They haven't won since two thousand nine. So I think it's it's sort of they're they're sort of having a, you know, getting getting a little bit uh, tired of, of the team not being able to break through like this. But I think you, you look at the young core that they have and everything that think. People are definitely excited about that, even if they were to, um, you know, lose the finals. And I think they have all the right pieces to, to be able to, to be a team to make it there, you know, for years to come. But obviously, we know, like, championships aren't, aren't are hard to come by, as you see with the Warriors. Like, it can, it can you know, blow up and then they, you can rebuild it. But it takes a, it takes a, a collaborative effort. And I think um, the teams are in Boston are run uh, really well from their front offices to their coaches. I mean, you look at Ime Adoka, first-year head coach in the, in the championships, I mean, in the finals. I mean, that's kind of unheard of. So, um, you know, you, you, I think I def, but to get back to your point, I think it's definitely championship or bust. So I read off all these impressive stats, how the Red Sox won 8-10 on the road. Uh, when they swept the athletics, their starters, 19 innings, only allowed one run. Right now in this month, their, their team leads an ERA, 2.04. The Red Sox have won 9 of 11 so far in June. It goes on and on, but yet they're still 12 and a half games back. I know. That's the crazy thing, right? I mean, that, that it, it kind of shows how really great the Yankees have been playing and then or have been playing this year and how bad the Red Sox are playing to begin the year. I mean, it, I believe they got swept by Baltimore to, to begin the season again. Or so some, and, you know, they went to New York, lost the first two out of three there. Um it was just bad, man. From and it came back, and they were pitching well, but their bullpen was blowing games. Excuse me, their 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 starting pitching has been well the entire season, um, but they were blowing you know games in the bullpen, and they weren't hitting. They were one of the worst offenses in, offenses in baseball, kind of like how the A's have been hitting as of recent this year. That that's how the Red Sox were playing over the first month month and a half of the season. I mean, you had Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, and Rafael Devers that was hitting, but those are the only three hitters that, that I believe that are hitting over. Um, 200. They're hitting in, in in the you know the mid threes, but everybody else is under 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 200. I mean, it was it was it was it was bizarre to kind of look at, even though it was the beginning of the season. It was really really bizarre. So I'm also looking here. One of the problems has been at Fenway Park, where normally they dominate. Just 13 and 14 at Fenway. Is that just the early struggles? And you've been on the road for a while. Have as you gotten hot? The team has gotten hot. I mean, why is the Fenway record under 500? They they've they've struggled at home for I think even dating back to 2019, right? I, I, if you ask them well, why why their struggles have been at home, they it's really no answer for it. I mean, if you look back, even you know it's something Alice Cora has been talking about since since that year. He's like, we got to play better at home. We got to play better at home. 
And um, I think a, a lot of it had to do with like their, their early struggles. And then a lot of it had to do with just, that's just who they've been for, for the past, you know, a couple, two to three years. They've just been a team that hasn't been able to, you know, you know, um, keep their, keep, keep their foot on the gas at home. So, um, you know, hopefully this, this stretch of games could, could turn out, you know, different because obviously, you know, Oakland's hasn't been playing well. Then they have, you know, a couple other teams coming in before they go over to another, another uh, three, three city road trip. But I think, I think that a lot of it has to date back to even 2019 where they just have not played well at home. I mean, I got to think if you're the Red Sox, right? I mean, you don't want to say that there's ever going to be panic, but you just don't have the Yankees in front of you. You got Toronto in front of you. You got Tampa in front of you. You now start looking at the rest of the league. I mean, a a series like this, I mean, two out of three is a must, but you almost have to be thinking sweep, right? Yeah, and I think that's what, what, what benefited the Red Sox so much last year is that they were able to beat the teams um, they were supposed to be. And I think toward the latter part of the year when they started to struggle a little bit, I think they had a little bit more wiggle room because they were able to do that. But now this year you have, the, like you said, the Yankees playing well, who were really, really inconsistent last year. The Blue Jays who couldn't, who, who were still young and didn't quite figure it out. Um, the Rays were always, you know, there, but their record wasn't anything astounding. I think this year with the expanded playoff, though, I think, you know, they have a little bit more, more of a buffer, but Obviously, when you have those teams in front of you, I mean, it's I think it's why, you know, people you consider it, you know, largely the best uh, you know division in baseball is because top to bottom. I mean, with the exception of the Orioles, I mean, it's teams night after night teams are coming after you. Well, and the thing that I think about with the Yankees, it's like, yeah, the regular season with the way they're pitching to go with the offense and the home runs. But my big question will be once you get in the postseason and if the ball's not flying out of the yard. Right. How far can you go? Yeah, and that's that's been the thing that's been the thing for them for the past couple of years is was that you know when when the home runs don't leave what what happens and I think that's that's sort of been the 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 take on them throughout the league. I mean, you even have players, you know, former players who would come over here and say, you know, they're they were an easy lineup to pitch to because a lot of the guys were the same. Um, yeah, you know, but I, th- I think they they've done a better job this year of of, of making contacts and making. Uh, you know, putting the ball in play. I think that's why they've they've been winning a lot more. I think they've sort of gone away from that little more of a feast or famine approach. They have a more of a you know gap the gap approach. But obviously, I think they'll live and die by the home runs because that's 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 something that's that's been a part of their game. So it's going to be interesting though to, to to see what happens. But I think they have the pitching that they haven't had in recent years this year uh, to be able to match that. But you know, as as was, as we see, like you said, when, when the home runs aren't going, how, what's, what who are you going to turn to for offense? And I think that's going to be a question mark until they answer it going into the postseason. You know, when you're winning a lot, you got a lot of hot guys. I can give you numbers, and you know the numbers on Devers. Uh, I also look at J.D. Martinez as as Koenig's going tonight for the A's. Martinez has just been just bashing southpaws. And then what he's done the last 21 games, just talk about how the big right-hander, he is really heating up and helped carry the offense. It's contract year, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, he, 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 and he has more, he has more teams to choose from now. I mean, you look at, yeah. you know, he has the, he has the national league now. So I think, you know, that part plays a part, but obviously I think his, his approach, I think he's, if you talk to JD, he's always says he's, he's a maniac when it comes to, you know, just, just his, uh, you know, being able to, uh, you know, hit, I think that's something that the process of hitting, you talking about hitting, I mean, he's just, he's obsessed with hitting. So it's really no surprise uh, that, that he's been able to, to do what he's, been able to do for all this years because he puts so much into it. I mean, um, you know, I think like how David Ortiz says that, you know, that they pay me to hit 
And I think JD's sort of taken that same approach as a DH for the Red Sox. And, you know, he's just, he's just a person who's been able to do it after he got released from the Astros, which is crazy. Think about it back in 2014. I mean, he's, he's figured something out that's worked for him. It doesn't work for everybody. Some, a lot of people go ahead and try his, his, his routine, his process. It doesn't work for everybody. Sometimes some people is just way too much information, but he's a guy that feeds off information, feeds off tweaks to his swing, tweaks to his, his approach. And um, obviously it's, it's, it's worked for him for, for you know, his, this, his tenure with the Red Sox. Chris Sale's making $30 million this year. Still hasn't pitched. I know he's been throwing live BPs. I mean, this is a guy when healthy, you look at like an ace-like pitcher, but where, where are we with him and what are now the expectations as we're in June? Uh, you know, I, I think obviously Chris would be the first one to tell you it's, a, it's been a disappointment. I mean, I think he, he said to our Globes, Alex Spear, I think he said, you know, I've only had one, you know, solid year where I have been healthy, and that was 2017. Even in 2018, they had to use him differently because, you know, he was – he was going through some things in 19, obviously he went down with the Tommy John. And I, I think, you know, to this point, he'd be the first to tell you this. It's been a disappointment, um, you know, not having him available, not having him on the mound. I mean, just, just him alone, uh, uh, the Chris Sale of old, I'm, I don't think you'll ever, you'll, we'll, we'll see that version of him again. I think he's, he's alluded to that as well. Um, but the main thing right now is trying to get him on the mound, be it in the bullpen, be it uh, in the starting rotation. Ideally when in the starting rotation, but it's just a matter of, look, this guy hasn't pitched, um, you know, really, he's only had like six to eight starts since 2019. So um, that's that's that with the pitcher, pitching pitching the way it is right now. You know, I think that they would probably you know use him in some role, but obviously it, the, the main thing would probably just probably want to get him in, in the rotation. But but you know, it, it, it's it all depends on his progression and taking care of him. If they're going to make a realistic run at the postseason, obviously a long way to go. You stay hot. You can take care of your own business. What are they going to have to do for the bullpen if this is actually going to be a reality, especially if the teams ahead of them keep winning? Well, the thing that's most bizarre to us is that, you know, they took uh, a person like, you know, um, Garrett Whitlock out, out the rotation, out, out, excuse me, out of the bullpen and put him in the rotation. And essentially they replaced, a, you know, their, their best reliever and made him, turned him into a, you know, probably a B minus C plus starter. Um, you know, I think Garrett is probably a pitcher that's, you know, for them down the road, that's going to, you know, do well and in, in, in maybe as a starter. But I think his his role for this year um, should have been in the bullpen, um, just considering all the struggles that they've had. But, you know, they, they've they've sort of leveled it off. They've been using Tanner Houck a little bit more um, in those higher level situations. He might be, be able be might be becoming the team's closer. So I think they're going to have to add some arms, arms at the deadline, particularly in the bullpen to be able to. Um, to, 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 you know, bring, bring you know, uh, the playoffs back to Boston. You talk about expectations, championships are bust. Now it's like you got to get into the postseason. How are Red Sox fans, baseball fans, viewing Heim Bloom at this point and the job that he's done so far as the – he's the chief – I love the title – chief baseball <laughs> officer no he's not the vp or the president of baseball operations or the general manager he's the chief baseball officer i don't even know what the hell that means me neither me neither when i first thought i was like what is that <laughs> i have no idea um how you know i think they they view it as this i mean i think this is a growing pains year for him i think this is a year where um you know, I think he's started to realize the expectations in terms of like, because last year that, you know, they kind of just fell into it, right? It was a year that 
they got hot at the right time and you know they made it they punched a wild card ticket and, and I think a lot of times they came in this year thinking they'd come with that same roster um to a degree and and, and, and maybe even a lesser roster they lost Kyle Schwarber um you know who's a who's a potent bat in their offense and you know I think they lost you know Hunter Renfro they traded for him to, for for Jackie Bradley Jr. to to re-up the defense um and I think some people are just kind of puzzled by some of the moves but puzzled by also by like you know not being able to um you know turn the bullpen bullpen into something um you know formidable so i think right now they view him as like sort of this this guy that does enough for them keep them you know good enough but that doesn't hasn't necessarily made the moves um that'll you know get them over the top to you know being a uh you know a, 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 the team that that can that can you know win a world series um i think i but i think you know now that the celtics are playing well um and that they we're in the finals we kind of uh, uh, the Red Sox talk has kind of been lost in all of everything. So once is, once the Celtics season is over, we'll definitely have the more definition term in terms of what um, you know what Heim has done or hasn't done. Because you know if they if they go on a what two three game losing streak, you you bet you'll hear from Red Sox fans all the time. So they're known for that. Well, I you'll remember from your time here. I remember saying, you know, for the A's, you got to be relevant when the Warriors season ends, like everything's going to yeah. be on the Warriors. But once the Warriors are done, everybody's going to poke their head up and go, Hey, what's going on with the A's? What's going on with the Giants? So it's kind of similar. Yeah. You know, we've been dealing with that for years. Like if you're not relevant when the Warriors are done, good luck in the summer. Right. Right. And and this is the, you know, the farthest, the furthest, the red, I mean, the, the, um, excuse me, I think the Celtics made since 2010. So it's always, always been, you know, Red Sox, Red Sox, Red Sox all the time. But now we've sort of had that little, you know, this little, um, you know, the window where it's all been about Celtics. So it's going to be, it's definitely going to be interesting to, to hear people's reactions once um, all this is, all this is over. So I think, I think they're just going to have to do more though. Um, you know, if they want to be able to, to, to make a run in the postseason, you know, even if, even like they were lad did last year, I think they're going to have to do more, particularly with their bullpen. And I think, you know, you'll hear from fans a lot about that, um, in terms of, you know, with this deadline coming up, they're looking for, for him to make moves. He doesn't make moves. It's, 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 it's going to be, you're, you're definitely going to hear. All right. It's a three horse race to track down the Yankees. If you had to yeah. bet in Toronto, Tampa, or Boston to actually track them down, which team would you bet on? <laughs> See, the Rays are consistent. Right, they're a very, very consistent team, but I don't know if they're a team that they have that team that they're that that type of team that can necessarily go on a huge, huge run like that. So, I think, I think I'll have to go with Toronto um, because they're just they they're a team that can get hot, and I think with if they get hot at the right time and and they've been hot, obviously they've 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 sort of pulled themselves out of the gutter, um, but they're scary, man, and especially with all those bats working like they do. Uh, they they can they can get they can get really hot. I remember it's funny. I remember a couple of three years ago before they even good. And um, one of the writers who covers the Red Sox with me turned to me and said, you know, like this is the type of team that can kind of put you in the blender a little bit. All of a sudden you look up, you lost like five or six straight to them. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're right. Cause the Red Sox always struggle with Toronto and it's just cause they have so much talent. So I think with their talent, they'll be able to get on a run like that. But I don't know if anybody's catching the Yankees this year. No, it is. Uh, it, it, it's impressive. I mean, what they're doing. But once again, it's like, what what will they be able to do in the postseason? Do we have any yeah. new news on Bogarts and 
future and contract. And I know we've talked before what he means inside that community and to the franchise. Um, I think I think he's he's well he he's open to to, to negotiations with the Red Sox. I mean, look, he wants to stay here. Um, I think he's made that clear. I think uh, a lot of it comes down to what you know, what's on the other side of, of what, of how, you know, Haim and, and, and the front office view him in, in the long term. Obviously they've said all the right things, but, you know, he's a guy that's been at the center of this organization for years. You know, I mean, even, even probably more so than a, say a Mookie Betts. So I think you're going to have to look at a, at a person like him that, that you're going to have to, if he, if, if the Red Sox don't give it to him, somebody else will, because he's, he's that good of a player. No doubt. How was, how good was it to get back home? Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. I, I slept for like all day. So it was it was it was good. But it was good to be out there and, and catch up with everybody. And, and the one thing about the Coliseum, see them, it doesn't change. So <laughs> I forgot who told me that. But they, somebody somebody came and said, you know, I like this place because it never changes. I was like, okay, that's a good or bad thing. Well, no. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, whoever said it, it's very accurate. Let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah. All right, all right, buddy. Be well. You know we're going to be calling you, and we miss you out here out west, and it was great to see you. Absolutely. Miss you guys, too. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right. Uh, That's our good friend, Julian McWilliams, who uh, covers the Boston Red Sox for the Boston Globe on a big-time paper. And you know what we like to call them, the Boston Rays, with your your guy, Heim Bloom, the chief baseball officer, they do have a GM too, which is just fascinating. But right. what he you need to, I mean, well, I mean, somebody's got to do the day to day stuff. Yeah, for sure. And when you elevate yourself to basically president of baseball operations, I don't know, I don't know what chief baseball. Maybe uh, I don't think we'll ever know what what that title means. I mean, is that above baseball president? Uh, I think on paper it is. Let's let's just look up the 2022 Boston Red Sox. Well, who would be above you? Wouldn't it be the president of the organization and the owner? It's maybe about we well, have the ownership. It's uh John Henry. Is he still the owner? There's a bunch of them, but yeah, he's the he's a majority owner, right? Their team president is well. See, down here it says President Heimblum, Chief Baseball Officer. But their team president is is it Sam Kennedy? Is that who it is? Let me just double check. This is poor Red Sox knowledge, but I, I don't live on the, I don't live in the, the uh, Midwest anymore. So I don't well, what's about their the blog Sox. like? We have Athletics Nation. Theirs is like something monster. Uh, yeah. Um, he's still the president CEO. Sam Kennedy is the president and CEO of the Red Sox. Um, let me see if I can find that Red Sox blog. They got they 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 got a lot of they got a lot of chefs in the kitchen there in Beantown. Uh, I was looking at over the is it over the monster over the monster. By the way, Julian, you guys were talking about their winning. Their winning. Uh, Athletics Nation, by the way, was the first. And now we have. Uh, there's, but everywhere. it's over the monster. Since so, Julian, you guys were talking about their their the Red Sox re, uh, home record since 2018. They won 57 games in 2018. They also won 100 what 108. And they won the World Series. 2019, they went 38 and 43. The next year, they went tw- uh, 11 and 20. Then they went 49 and 32. They're 13 and 14 this year. That's 168 wins at home. Divided by 300 games, that's a 650 winning percentage at home. Um, it's not bad. But 13 and 14 this year, and then obviously 11 and 20 in the COVID year. But the, the, the 57 wins in the 108 year, 108 win year, that really skews the numbers in uh, your favor. Uh, you want to hear what Chris Sales, Megan? 
uh, a lot of money to not pitch. Thirty million this year, zero appearances. How many did he make last? When did he get hurt? Uh, he didn't come back until from he had Tommy John, right? So he didn't come back yeah. until like end of August, early September, and he was really good. Uh, let's see, he came back last year. He appeared in nine games. He went five and one with a three sixteen ERA and four nine games. Yeah. You know how much he made last year for nine games? Thirty million. Thirty million. So in two years, he's made sixty million dollars, and he's pitched nine games. Would you rather? Okay, because I'm not done yet. Okay. Next year, twenty-seven point five mil, and could go up based on Cy Young finishes. Twenty twenty-four, twenty-seven point five, and it could go up based on Cy Young finishes. So you know there could be stuff like if he finishes in the top three or whatever. Then in twenty twenty-five. 20 million vesting option. Vest of sale finishes top 10 in the 2024 Cy Young voting and doesn't finish the year on the IL. I mean, can you imagine if we were looking at these numbers and a guy couldn't pitch? We'd be flipping out. Yeah. And he's flipping also out. He's also going to get younger. He'll be 30, he's 33 this year. We'll be 30. You're paying this guy and he doesn't do anything but rehab and his 40 40- we were talking about earlier steven strasburg you're paying 245 million for nothing nothing and his four years in boston he's made 93 starts i now, mean now stop with the contracts i mean it's like paying these guys numbers that are crazy it just doesn't work what i wanted to bring up with uh with Strasburg and Chris Sale, you're talking about how his- far away? Sorry, but how far away are we to where we'll never see a starting pitcher get a long-term deal like this again? At what point are we like? No one's throwing 200 innings. No one's giving us 330 starts. I'm lucky to get 22 out of the guy. That these. Thirty plus million dollars a year. What are we? Five years away, less than five years away from literally not no one really being a starting pitcher. You're the pitcher, and today we want you to give us three, four innings a game. How far are we away from that? I, I think I think five would be the high end, maybe. If I'm just guessing. Unless there's a drastic change in how pitches are developed and velocity and all that. Uh, all right, go back to what you okay. were. So with with Chris Sale, now you talked about him getting the Cy Young votes. Every year of his career, he's finished sixth, fifth, third, fourth, fifth, second, fourth when he's healthy. Now, he didn't pitch in 2020, and he only appeared nine games last year. So we'll see. Oh, I forgot. You got it. You got it. You still had to. Pay him X amount of millions for twenty twenty yeah, for the COVID year. So he... for three years now, you've got nine. You've got nine appearances. Yeah. Jesus. So so Steven Strasburg. I mean seriously. Steven... And guys are complaining about the live tour guys in golf. At least the live tour guys are playing. You got me these guys. Steven Strasburg has not played at all, and he's still getting all two hundred forty five million. I mean, it's crazy. Chris Sale's been in the league for eleven years. This will be his twelfth when he debuts. Now remember his first years he was mainly a reliever, a really good reliever for the White Sox. 
But in his years as a starter, he's um, he's already amassed, let's see, one, two, three, four, five different years he's gone 30 or more starts. Strasburg in 13 years has done that three times. Three times. And he's making – here, I'll give you Strasburg's rundown. Great World Series. He was awesome in the World Series in that playoff run in 2019. 2020, he's making $35 million, virtually nothing from him. Last, last year, made a couple starts, $35 million. This year – Came back already on the injury list again, thirty-five million. Next year, thirty-four years old, thirty-five million. He's making thirty-five million every year until twenty twenty-six. But Washington wants to re-sign Juan Soto. Are you going to be able to? I. It's actually sickening, the kind of money that you're paying somebody. I mean, obviously, it's insured. The team will be okay, but I, it's just it's it's mind blowing to me the amount of money that guys are making. And we were we had a lockout because players were complaining they weren't making enough. You have guys. We literally just went two different teams, injured guys making thirty five to thirty million dollars, and they don't play. They don't play at all, and they're making that money. It's guaranteed. And we had once again. A lockout, players complaining they're not getting a big, a big enough piece of the pie. Like, I I would love to go over every, I mean, owners own businesses to make money. It's your business. You should be able to make, it's your business. You should be able to make what, you should be able to make a lot of money. It's your business. You paid for it. These guys are employees. I would love to go over all – I would love to go over every roster and go, how many of these guys, 26-man rosters right now, how many of these guys are making millions and how many of these guys – what percentage of these players you go, return on investment, majority of these guys are not worth what they get paid. And yet they're locking out saying they don't get enough. And what are you worth? How many of these guys are actually worth the money they make? It's a good question. There's several guys that I mean, I have this discussion with my friends all the time. How's like, Fernando Tatis's contract doing this oh, year? Oh, he's close to coming back, but could, he could be a center fielder eventually, long term. It's June. Yeah. Let me give you one more guy. How much is he making this year? Uh, it's, let's. What was it? Three. What was his deal in total? Three hundred forty million over or fourteen years or something. Let me give you another guy. I'll give you his numbers. I'll give you his salary. First year to team, $28 million. No, sorry, 26 then 28 Making 36.5 this year, then 38 ne- 38 and a half until 2026 starting next year. In his career with this team, he's hitting – wait for it. Let me just scroll up. It's at the very bottom. Okay. In his three years with this team, he's hitting 253, 20 home runs, 89 RBI, a 782 OPS, and he's played in – wait for it. A total of 154 games over three seasons. That'd be the other guy the Nationals almost kept, Anthony Rendon. No. 154 no. games in three years. Oh, no, my God. $38.5 starting next year. But we got to lock out because they don't make enough money. You know, the other day I was looking at Jerry Blevins, who did a great job, in with Vinny uh, in Cleveland. And Robert Koss, our engineer, was like, I think he's done a really good job. I I know. The problem is it's made too much money. You can't get these guys. And then then I looked it up. Jerry Blevins. Jerry Blevins. 
not a Cy Young Award winner, not an All-Star. Now, Jerry Blevins made like, what was it, about $24 million in his career? $24 million. I'll never even sniff. After taxes, he still has got over $10 million in the bank. I'll still never even sniff that. So guess what? Hey, we need you to go on a three-team road trip. Nope. That's why we can't get broadcasters. Why do you think we can't get ex-players? Why don't we get ex-players? Because ex-players made so much money, they don't need to do this anymore. A guy like Ray Fossey made more money as a broadcaster <laughs> than he did as a player. Crook and Kipe made more money as broadcasters than they did as players. This generation of players, these older guys and guys just out of the league, they don't need the money. Yeah, why is A-Rod doing TV? <laughs> why is David Ortiz? Well, they're, they're only outliers. doing it once. Yeah, they're outliers. No, because they're on the national stage, and it's good for the brand. The outlier is someone who made millions and still wants to work every day. Where's that guy? Let me let me let me, let me think of team broadcasters real quick because we only have a couple minutes. Find me a team broadcaster who is a guy that made millions who's traveling in the middle of the night to Milwaukee and Pittsburgh and Seattle and is doing the grind of a hundred and fifty something games. Tom Glavin. No, he's not. He's not doing every game, but he does games on TV for the Braves. Probably all home games. Yeah, he probably doesn't travel. Uh, Tom Glavin. How much do you think Tom Glavin made in his career? Um, a good amount. He got a he got a nice deal from the Mets, right? How much? That's not the question. I'll say I'll say closer to hundred million. Oh my God, Tom! I bet Tom Glavin's at at least a hundred and fifty. Uh, let me think. I'm, all right, I'm going to keep thinking of teams. We have like three minutes left. Um. What teams have former players as broadcasters? Like the Twins have just—he made a hundred and thirty. Okay, that's pretty good. So does Tom Glavin need to be? Does Tom Glavin need to be on that flight that lands in Houston in the middle of the night? Well, most no. like, most likely not. Uh, yeah, a lot of the broadcasters are guys that had like because like, you can't get these guys. They've all made so much money, and their wives are glad to have them off the road. Oral, Hershiser. Is he traveling? I think he does road games with them. Oral made pretty good money, but uh, I'm like it's hard to it's hard to go through the teams and. But I mean, he's not. I mean, Oral's sixty three years old, yeah, I so like, I wouldn't put him in the yeah, young guy category. Yeah, like I, like like, <laughs> I mean, like Gooby and um, different guys like who, Gooby's an eighties guy. Yeah, like I'm thinking of guys that are older. Like the okay, now Lynn does it on a part time basis, so he doesn't really count. But Uke was in Oakland, but he lives. In the oh, Bay that's a, I mean, he's he he's has a brewery out. in Los Gatos. <laughs> or Hershiser made thirty eight million in his career. Hershiser, I mean, I don't know if Hershiser's doing it. He wants his kids are old. What about David Cohn? He travels for road games, but he's an older guy too, though. He's an older guy too. Yeah. But uh, he made a boatload of money. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of the Mets, but there's literally I'd have to go through I mean, and actually. David Cohn in his sixties. He, he's if not, he's close. He's like in his late fifties. Yeah, I'm talking about modern day. I mean, where where, where are the thirty year olds? Where are the forty year olds? The youngest broadcaster, one of the youngest broadcasters in the yeah, sport. Yeah, David Cohn is fifty nine. One of the youngest broadcasters in the sport is Joe Davis. He he did play in the majors. The Dodgers play by play on TV. No, I'm talking about ex players. Yeah, ex players. You yeah. can't like. Well, remember people are like get Eric Chavez. You're not getting him to travel to broadcast. You'll give him as a hitting coach because he wants to yeah. be in the game. Yeah. You're not getting him to broadcast. Remember when people said Piazza, Piazza will be a great broadcaster. You're going to get Mike Piazza who made all that money to travel around in the middle of the night on play. You don't realize traveling's hard. You know, going into Tampa 
I remember when we went into Tampa, we had no sleep. You, th- you think Mike Piazza's <laughs> going into Tampa on no sleep? No. That's it? Yeah. We will. We, we got to get more into this this pitching, and no one wants to no one wants to pitch anymore. Guys just want to make a lot of money and work out. That hopefully the Braves win again, so we can talk about their winning streak. A lot of good numbers in there. Braves winning streak. Uh, they're scoring a ton of runs, and their pitching staff during the winning streak has the best ERA. Also, they have the longest winning streak for defending World Series champion since. I have no clue. That be the. Going into 2018, Houston Astros, who also won 12 in a row. Longest win. Oh, you want to play that game? Longest winning streak in Braves franchise history, modern era. This is the third one. The other one was one was in 2000. Since 1900. One was in 2000, right? Because that's counting Boston, oh. Oh. Milwaukee, and Atlanta. How smart are you? One of them was 15, right? No. Well, I, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 15 games, yes, yeah. but win. 2,000. That's it. There's lots of, I thought there was two, I thought there was two higher than, than 12. Uh, no, 2013 was 14. 14 and then 15 was the highest. 92 Braves did 13, and the 1982 Braves won 13. Oh, Dal Murphy, good friend of the program. Was he there in 82? I thought so, right? What does I, that, I would bet that, on it. Was that when he went back to back? I don't think he's a 70s guy, though, so he would have been a young Dale Murphy. Was that like, but what? I'll give you credit. You had that. 2000. You must have read that today. I did. I read an article about the Braves earlier. Uh, Del Murphy, 1980. 70s. No, that's I told you it's year one. That's the second year of his back-to-backs. Dale Murphy got in the league in 1976. At age 20. Where were you in 1976? Um, I think my parents are still in middle school. I was four years old. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all we got. That's it? Yeah. We're going to have Red Sox broadcasting legend Joe Castiglione on tomorrow. Nice. Uh, Tomorrow, what are we getting into? Uh, we got to get more into this pitching and injuries. Yeah. The Braves, if it's they win. It's crazy. The Braves, if they win. By the way, can I make a case tomorrow that starting pitchers and pitchers in general are becoming running backs of the NFL? Oh. Let me write that down so I don't forget it. Oh, you like that, don't you? I mean, I like talking about running backs, so. And I'm not talking about Emmett Smith running backs. I'm not talking about Jim Brown. Oh, you're talking I'm not talking about Marcus Allen. Okay, you're talking about Hall of Famers now. I'm talking about modern. I'm talking now running. How they'll be like running backs of today. Hey, Le'Veon Bell's on the phone. Where you say, who? Yeah, Le'Veon Bell. How long do they last? Le'Veon Bell's a great example. We'll talk about that tomorrow. We want to thank Melissa Lockhart did an outstanding job today. Jesse Goldberg Strasser, good luck tonight in Fenway Park. And Julie McWilliams, our buddy from the Boston Globe. For all coming on A's Cast Live, A's Total Access coming your way in five minutes. Brought to you by Chevron. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.